0: Welcome everybody to Just Say Something, and this is a re-recording of the program that we did last night where Cammie Summers, and my name is Jeff Summers, uh, where we did a talk on how to communicate and build trust with your teenagers. I'm the pastor of Student Families at Perimeter Church, and we're excited to get to talk to you about how to better communicate with your kids.
1: I remember the day all the rules changed. We were on a family vacation visiting friends in Florida, and one of my favorite things to do on the planet is to go to the beach. And so it only made sense that we would plan a day trip. But the beach is not my oldest daughter's favorite place to be, and she was around 13. And she saw the call to go to the beach as an opportunity for a coup. (laughs) She mobilized the seven children between our two families to stand against me and beg to not have to go to the beach. And when I discovered my daughter's rebellion, I handled it in the same way I'd always handled it. I looked her square in the eye and I said, I don't care what you want. Get your swimsuit on, put on some sunscreen and get in the car. Well, the other children fell in line when we got to the beach and were quickly playing and having a great time in the sand and sea. But the oldest, the only teenager, was not as quick to comply. Instead, she proceeded to sulk and pout and make everyone pretty miserable. And I was so angry. How dare she? She was ruining my time at my favorite place on earth. Sadly, my response only escalated things, and I think... In desperation, my husband asked me to go for a walk, which really turned into a rant. And then my husband said the words that have haunted me for years. He said, how do you think she felt when you said you didn't care how she felt? Would you have said the same thing to me? Well, no, of course I wouldn't have said that to my husband. I care deeply how my husband feels about things. But do I have to care how my kids feel? I mean, it isn't efficient. And I'm used to my directives being followed. I believe that parents should be in charge and that children should follow. What had changed? Should I have handled the situation differently? As I thought about it, I realized. Sometime when I was sleeping, everything about communication with my teen had changed. My goal was no longer to be obeyed, and all my strategies and tactics that had worked for 13 years weren't going to bring about the results I really wanted. All the players were the same, but the rules had changed, and so had the objectives, and I think I spent pretty much the next three years. All right, maybe I'm still learning about it, but today we're going to talk about communication and how Communicating with teenagers is different than communicating with little kids or grown kids.
0: We just finished watching a clip, and for those of you listening to the podcast, you can search for a clip of Freaky Friday Missing Door, and that will give you the right clip. So this is a a clip where a daughter gets home after a horrible day, and her mom is waiting to ambush her as they talk about the horrible day she's had and being in detention and a lot of different things like that. And so we're going to spend some time kind of unpacking the scene that we have just seen. So first off, we want to say that this clip is a little bit over the top. Of course, it's a movie, and you wouldn't right away take a loss of privacy from your daughter just because she got put in detention, removing a door Is kind of extreme, I think, in that situation. But this is not unheard of uh, when things get really bad in the home. I've known a a few different families that have had to remove the door of one of their kids uh, because of conflict and loss of trust over time. And so certainly we don't want to see something like that happen in real life. But it is a little over the top because at the beginning she walks into her room. Her little brother is reading her journal. He's wearing one of her bras and they're making fun of her. And so it kind of sets up this hyper situation where she's going to freak out and storm downstairs to talk to her mom. So when she does that, she goes downstairs. What is the posture of the mom when she comes down the stairs? Her mom has really developed an atmosphere uh, that's very businesslike, definitely puts her in an authoritative situation. She's sitting behind the kitchen table, very calmly uh, again, a lot of authority. There's no benefit of the doubt that she's offering to her daughter. And so the atmosphere is one of the things that I want you to see. And we'll be discussing that in later Parent Use, is how to build uh, a great atmosphere. Um, in fact, we're going to be talking about that next week. The next thing you'll notice, what's what's been happening in the life of the teen? The teen has had a horrible day, a bad day. If you watch the movie, it's it's been incredibly horrible day. And the mom doesn't spend any time trying to understand that. And timing is a thing that's important when we're speaking to teenagers. And so one of the things that we'll again be discussing more in detail later on is is timing things. Uh, If your daughter's had a horrible day, confronting and diving in uh, when she's not very receptive might not be the best time to have that conversation. The next thing is how how does the mom actually speak with the daughter? What is the tone that she's building? She's incredibly condescending. Her tone is is not not one that that shows that she's really ready to listen. She's she's got her her serious uh, mom authority, you know, condescending tone going on. You know, we can't really underestimate how much tone can can matter when we're trying to communicate. Just this week, I screwed up at home in, in a situation like this where we had been cooking and I'd been cooking for like an hour and a half. Prepping this big meal that I was making, and we had one of the wrong ingredients. We hadn't seen the fine print. We actually got something spicy that was supposed to be plain. And so we called my daughter and said, hey, can you pick this item up on the way home? And we didn't say specifically, get plain. We just said, get this item And so, you know, it was kind of a big ordeal. She stopped. She's looking around. She can't find it. She finally gets it. She comes home. And, of course, we look, and she got the exact same wrong ingredient that we already had. She got the spicy instead of the plain because we hadn't made it clear. And I was incredulous. I was just going a little bit over the top uh, when it came to that. And this is one of those situations where those of you that are are single parents – or maybe your your spouse travels a lot and you're parenting by yourself an awful lot. You are my hero because it's so difficult uh to do that because at this particular time when I was using just a a, a, a bad tone with my daughter, I, my wife was right behind her and she kind of just gave me that look, you know, that said, "Hey, you've got to tone it down, buddy." And and uh I was able to immediately kind of back off the tone that I was projecting and start backpedaling and let the tension go down because my daughter was getting upset and it was me that was causing it by the way I was reacting to her when she was just trying to be helpful. And so tone can be a big deal. Now, how does the mom listen to the daughter in the clip? It's not really for the sake of understanding. She doesn't have any empathy. She's not really trying to get into the pit with her daughter. She kind of uh, is just wanting to say, hey, here's the things I've heard, and you owe me some explanations right now. So she's not listening for understanding. And what is the emotional state of the daughter is something we need to take a look at. She even bursts out, give me my door back or I will kill myself now we we know that the the brain and the way that it operates, the top of the brain is really the part of the of the brain that really all of our emotions are processed in, and uh, it 's in the frontal brain the uh, the prefrontal cortex where a lot of our decision making and logical decisions take place, and really, when the emotional stuff is happening, the logical part of the brain is not working the way that it should because the emotion center just takes over. And so, you know, she's not at a time when she's really going to be reasoned with uh, when she's already at this heightened emotional moment. She's not thinking clearly. She's not thinking rationally, as opposed to the mom in the clip who is not jacked up emotionally. The other thing we notice is that the mom really already knows all the answers. She's not listening for understanding. She's already decided what she's doing. She already feels like she's in a superior position. And she's clearly communicating all of that. When she finally does get the daughter talking, as she asks the question about the boy, then she rolls her eyes and makes a, a condescending comment about where she met him and completely shuts down the communication again so how do we how do we rate this interaction by the mom? um She's a therapist who writes books on this sort of thing in the movie, and I would say it's probably at least a c minus um she's not it's this conversation with the daughter is not achieving for the mom what she wants it to achieve, and that's the thing we can argue and say, well you know she's being disrespected by the daughter there's certainly a lot of fault on on the daughter's point in this interaction as well but again we're trying to say hey how do you want to achieve uh, as you interact with your kids what are what is it that you're trying to achieve and how can we get there and certainly she did not achieve what she wanted by the way she interacted with her daughter so tonight we're going to we're going to take a look uh, at a couple of major issues when it comes to communicating with teens. Two main areas we want to focus on today. The first one is this, the rules have changed. What is the goal of communicating? And let's start by just saying, what is the goal of communicating with little kids, right? If the rules have changed and it's different now, what were we trying to achieve when we were talking to our little children, our younger kids? First uh, Corinthians 14 verse 20 says, brothers. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Now, this verse is talking about spiritual maturity and that we think differently, though. It's just it's stating a truth that is, that is kind of universal, that we think differently when we're young. And even for hundreds of years, we've known that little children think differently uh, than mature people. And we know that little kids are very concrete. The way that we talk to them is different than we talk to adults. I would argue that the way we talk to little kids is largely directive. Little kids are more task oriented. There's a lot of how-tos in our training and in our parenting. There's a lot of hey, cleaning clean your room, are you doing the dishes, reading, how to read. We explain concepts to them. When we are listening to them, we're often breaking up fights or disagreements. We're listening uh, when we're just listening to them, sometimes they're we're t- they're t- telling us about their interactions, their imagination, their dreams. A lot of times, it's very it's very playful and we are listening to them. But so much of their com- communication is really childish, and it's about childish things. And that's developmentally absolutely appropriate. Again, they're 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 concrete, they're fanciful, they're thinking these things. So this makes a lot of sense that our discussions would be in this vein. The little kids also tend to be so quick to forgive when we can discipline them. Maybe one minute, then fifteen, twenty minutes later, we can be tickling them and play, you know, and chasing them or, or something that, and having a good time, and they can be quick to forgive. We know that spending a lot of time reasoning with them doesn't work, and it's not usually a focus. I mean, how many of us have been frustrated watching a parent trying to reason with their three-year-old to get them in the car, when really that's the time when they need to say, hey, it's time to get in the car and be more directive. So years ago, Ken Blanchard, the author of The One Minute Manager, uh, came up with a paradigm of different managerial styles. And so he said, when you're directing an employee, you go from directing, which is telling them exactly what you want them to do. You move from that into coaching them, which is providing a high level of support. From there, you go into supporting them, where they come to you and ask questions, but you're around and available. And then finally, you go to delegating. Now in management, he says, if you go from directing to delegate, you create disillusioned learners. Now, Randy Pope has applied this to discipleship. Well, what I'm saying is this paradigm can also be applied very easily to our parenting styles. When our children are younger, we direct them a lot, but as they get older, we have to move into more coaching and supporting. But instead of delegating to them, the ultimate goal for us, I'll change that last box to independence that that 's the ultimate goal of what we 're trying to get them to do to think for themselves, so what does that look like in coaching we 're still telling them what to do, but we 're using a lot more question marks hey do you, are you know here here 's what i 'd like to see happen. Do you understand? How can I help when we move from that into supporting the student or the child becomes the one who's doing more communicating back with us. Maybe we're sitting back and they're coming asking us questions uh, that we then should respond with more questions uh, to help lead them and guide them into that answer. Because, again, uh, the ultimate goal during the teen years is independence. It's working ourselves out of a job. Let me give you a real-world example. Uh, Let's take spending money. When our kids are little and we give them an allowance, we tell them exactly how they can and cannot spend their money Yes, you can spend $5 at QT on snacks this week, for example. But when they get older, we move into coaching just naturally. Oh, you got $25 for your birthday. Well, you could buy a Lego set, or maybe you want to buy that video game for your Xbox system, or maybe put some money in savings. And so we're definitely moving into that coaching realm. But, by the time they're juniors or seniors, as they get older, we should really be hanging back and supporting more, hoping that they come to us to say, "Hey, what do I do with all this graduation money that I got? Should I buy a computer or or put it towards a car So ultimately, they're going to be independent, and maybe as an adult, they're going to call us and ask advice financial advice um, again, you constantly recycle through the different aspects, but generally. You can see how we move from directing to coaching, supporting, and ultimately to independence. Really, the ultimate goal is to teach them to think properly and to make decisions on their own. And we call this agency, okay? Agency is when your child makes a decision and, and acts on their own behalf. And let me give you an example of this, that this is something we're after. Let's say your child gets a a poor uh, grade on an exam and, and they're at home and they And, you know, maybe they or maybe they look around at their classmates. uh, No one else got it wrong or, or they got it wrong and they don't really think it was fair, but they do nothing about it. They come home. They talk to you, you call the teacher, and you know fight for that grade, okay that is a lack of agency uh, agency would be your child gets that paper, they see they disagree about the way it was graded, and they take action in their own hands. They approach the adult, they talk spend some time talking to them, arguing their case and that's that's just a small example of agency. are they looking at their problems? grabbing the bull by the horns and figuring out how to get out of it and that's what we do as adults every day right we take we we use agency and we solve our own problems and that's what we're trying to do now if if the goal then is agency if the goal is independence did the mom in the movie clip operate with that in mind is she operating towards how can i help my daughter figure out you know, what she did wrong? How can I help her overcome the fact that she's uh, failing a class or the fact that she has been sent to detention twice? How can I understand what got her there and help her figure out how not to get there again? Uh, And that this is not in her best interest rather than just bring the hammer down. The second thing is in the movie clip, did she interact with the goal of understanding? Um, You know, from the Psychology Today website, we have this definition of empathy. Empathy is the experience of understanding another person's thoughts, feelings, and condition from their point of view rather than from your own. You can imagine yourself in their place in order to understand what they are feeling or experiencing. Empathy facilitates pro-social or helping behaviors that come from within rather than being forced so that we behave in a more compassionate manner. You know, we see this principle being stated in in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. We are supposed to celebrate with those who are celebrating and weep with those who are weeping. We are supposed to have empathy, uh, connecting with them, seeing things rather than from our own. So how are we doing with this goal in understanding our child's world? Uh, Do we approach those conversations with empathy? What is strange to me is that we should be really good at this. We have been in their shoes. We've all been teenagers. Uh, We've had the bad skin. We've hated our bodies. We know what it is to feel awkward and insecure, to be on the out of the social circle that we want, to not make the team. The pressure of making the grades Uh, not being liked by our crush, right? We've all uh, wished that we had Jesse's girl, and we don't. And so we have been there, and yet for a lot of us, it's like the forgotten file cabinet in our head, right? It's way back there. It's got the cobwebs growing on it. And a lot of us need to spend some time opening up that drawer And blowing the dust off and moving the cobwebs and spend some time remembering what it is to be a teenager. I think one of the benefits I've had of just being in student ministry for so long, I've been able to constantly, uh, since I was in my 20s, interact with teens and remind myself of their insecurities and the things they're dealing with. Where for a lot of us as parents, we haven't thought about what it means to be a teenager for 20 years. And so it's, it's difficult. We've kind of put those times behind us and we've moved on. As we, as we connect with those though, uh, and, and we empathize with our kids, uh, it helps us to, for them to know that we care, and it and it rebuilds trust. There's a famous young life quote that says, "Kids don't care what you know until they know that you care." Now, this is actually coined from Teddy Roosevelt, who just said, "People don't care what you know until they know that you care." And yet, why is it with our own children? Sometimes we communicate that we are, are don't really care what they're going through. I mean, it's funny that in Cammy's story, you know, she even blatantly said, "I don't care what you think. Get in the car." But we communicate that we don't care in all sorts of ways by our lack of attention, by uh, we'd rather be on our phones sometimes than uh, than paying attention to what they're doing and uh, or listening to the radio or watching TV or, you know, we can just so without even trying, we can communicate that uh, what is going on in their world is not that important to us. Luke 631 says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them, right? The golden rule. We have Philippians 2, which says, each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we, we see that in order to use the golden rule and apply it to our lives, we actually have to care about the other person, right? We want to treat others the way that we want to be treated. And, and so by understanding where they're at right now, that helps us to do that. These things are hard to do without empathy. So many things we discussed in this movie clip would be better if we applied the principle. Timing, respect, listening. You know, we're going to unpack all these more in the weeks to come uh, on Sunday morning, but these things, if the mom had had empathy, she would have connected better with her daughter and not missed the mark quite as badly as she did. In fact, the whole movie, what's ironic about it is the whole movie Freaky Friday is about empathy. The daughter and the mother switch bodies uh, for the weekend. And as they do that, they each come to understand what the other person's life is like. And so Empathy is just a huge thing that all of us need to pay attention to. So the main points we've discussed today is why communication has to change, first of all. And that's because the goal is to teach them to think and not to tell them what to do. If we tell them what to do all the time, then we're going to train them to rely on us. Uh, I I know someone who's like this, who's in their mid-20s, and and every time she needs to make a decision, she calls her dad. And and you think, golly, he... unintentionally, he has trained her to rely on him. And so that is just so easy to do. Or the opposite can happen. We can alienate them and they're not going to listen to us at all. We want to communicate with them. We want to guide them into this independent thinking. And so how, how do we do that? If we fail to put ourselves in their shoes with empathy, we will often miss the mark. So those are the two main points, empathy And that the goal is independent thought and agency. So how does this look in real life? Cammie's going to come and close for us uh, and let us know how it really looks in our home.
1: So what does this really look like for our family? I wish I could say that I always seek to understand my teens. I don't. Often I say things I shouldn't. Sometimes I care more about my will being obeyed and controlling them than about understanding them. There are days that I know I really shouldn't say something, but I just can't seem to help myself. So often, no, daily, I find myself on my face before the Lord, asking for His help, for Him to redeem my broken communication, for Jesus to give me His wisdom and compassion as I talk to my teens, for Jesus to grow my heart two sizes so I care more about equipping them. Than about my convenience or comfort. You see, John tells us that Jesus is the Word, the very expression of God's love. Jesus is empathy personified, empathy that came down, that shows us that God cares about our communication, and Jesus understands how hard it is to communicate in a broken world. He communicated perfectly with his disciples, but they didn't respond with perfect obedience, did they? Like our children, they rebelled and denied and made poor choices. And so we can bring our broken communication, our rebellious teens, our harsh and directive words to Jesus. Because Hebrews tells us we have a high priest that understands, and he promises to walk the road with us as we parent our teens. As we seek Him, there are days when He will lead us to seek forgiveness from our teens, to confess our sins and seek reconciliation. And there will be days when the Holy Spirit will put his hands over our mouths and say, not out loud, don't say that, as he protects us and our teens from our own sinful thoughts. And there will be still other days when we do everything wrong. And yet the work that Jesus is doing in the hearts of our teens will produce fruit beyond what we could hope for. Because as hard as it is to understand, God actually loves our teens more than we do. Okay, so maybe some days that's not so hard to understand. But Jesus is not only our Savior. He is the Savior of our teens, and he can save them from our parenting mistakes, and he can redeem our sin and theirs. So that is the hope that I want us all to hold on to, friends. Whether your teen seems to be listening or is giving you the silent treatment, whether your teen is walking in obedience or rebellion, whether your communication is founded on trust or struggling just to be civil, God is bigger, and he is the king of transforming hearts. Your heart and the heart of your teen. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we just come before you and we lift up to you our children, and we pray for tender hearts, and we pray for your protection, and we pray for your wisdom. Lord, we confess as parents Our communication is broken, and we can lead with our own arrogance, with our own desires and needs and expectations. And we can be bad stewards of your word. We can fail to communicate unconditional love and respect. We can belittle and manipulate our children. And Lord, we need you. We need you to save us from ourselves. We need you to redeem our communication with our children and to bring peace where there is conflict, to bring understanding where there is confusion, and Lord, that you would be Lord of our lives and our relationships with our children. And I pray for our children, Lord, that you would give them an unquenchable hunger for your word, an unshakable faith, and a desire to walk in obedience. And that you would raise up this next generation that they would love you with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I pray that we as their parents would always be pointing them towards your unconditional love, your holiness and righteousness and that as our children grow an understanding of who you are that they would desire to walk in obedience with you. And so I lift up to you our families and pray, Lord, there are a broken hot mess most days, and we need you in every moment of every day. So Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.